0: Well, this morning, uh, well, last week we talked about a difficult passage in facing strife. <laughs> last weekend we talked about that. How in those times we can become angry, we can become bitter, we can become vindictive, or we can take a higher pathway and choose to love God, to love those around us in those times. And our choice there is to makes a big difference in our lives, but it also affects the lives of the people around us. Now James turns to... An area and addresses, uh, these people as we keep portraying them, portraying them being faced with attacks from both sides. From one side the Jews and the other side from the Romans and they're trying to follow Christ in the midst of all of that mess that they're in living in Jerusalem in the first century and they were hard pressed to stay on the right path. You know, and after a season of facing hardship like they had been dealing with, and it been an ongoing thing, it, it often is easy when those things, in those times come, to say, "Well, I'm just going to take things into my own hands. I'm going to fix it myself. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to take care of the problem." You know, we have a tendency, don't we, to do that? We think ourselves we can just take care of this. We can fix it. We'll do it. It's a common assumption. Uh, that we make, and it's an assumption at times, I think at the heart of it is this, we don't really believe that God cares or even is around or is watching over us or is interested in what we're going through. But as followers of Jesus, I think we have to make a conscious decision that says this, I am going to develop godly patience in the face of whatever comes. But you might say, Pastor, we, we... we live in a time of instant gratification. Uh, our internet at our house was down this weekend, and I was afraid we might lose somebody in our home because there was no way to get on the internet. You know what I'm saying? We, we need it now. We want it now. We want everything right away. And we got to remember that God's ways are not like our ways. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. And often, His timing is not like our timing So the people to whom James wrote had answered God's call. They said, yes, we want to follow you. We want to listen to you. We want to go your direction. But that decision had caused an outcome that they had never expected, which was persecution from seemingly everybody around them. And in this passage, I want you to see that there's a call to develop a godly patience in in three areas. Now, let me remind you, when the Scriptures were written, there weren't chapters and verses. That didn't happen until about 1500s or 1400s to make it easy for us to go. You know that passage? Which one? The one that's over in the middle of that book that James wrote? Yeah, which one? The one right there, right past the... You don't have to do that anymore. You can say, go to James chapter 4, verse 1, and you can get there. So chapters and verses are not in the Scriptures, but they're there to help us find appointments. So we're going to lay over two chapters because I think the text lends itself to deal with these as a unit. So there's three things I want you to see this morning about developing this godly patience. The first one is this. We have to continually receive God's leading. You're going, God's leading. Look, Look at the verses in... Chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, tomorrow... That's not my verse. That's in the wrong place. Just ignore that. Verse 14 says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. And do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now, the first step in this area of developing patience centers on an area that we really have to, to, to deal with. And it's the question of who leads me? Do you remember the old hymn, He Leadeth Me? Yep. Y'all, some of y'all are old enough to remember that one? Uh, the, the words go this way He, lead, the, he leadeth me, O blessed thought. O oh, words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. And then the refrain says, He leadeth me, He leadeth me by His own hand, He leadeth me, His faithful follower I would be, for by His hand... He leadeth me. You know, in that hymn, there's words of what? Surrender. Words of saying, God, we want you to be in charge. We want you to go. We want to trust you. We're going to follow you, whatever you have for us. Can I tell you something? I don't remember the last time we sang that song. I don't know if it's because we don't believe in the words anymore or just has fallen out of favor, but I suspect James would have liked those words in that song had they been around when he was alive because it speaks to the need of us as followers to say, God, I need you. I need you. I want to follow you. I want to listen to you. I want to go where you want me to go. I want you to lead my life. The problem if we don't have that attitude in our life is that we live in a way that we're presuming that we know what's best, that we know what needs to happen in our lives, that God... Your point of reference is not important. What I do is important. So much of our lives is, is, be, is lived on a belief that says this, I'm going to be here forever. You know, Friday might have been a good reminder, isn't it? We're fortunate that we didn't lose people in our community, but we could have. In just a blink of an eye, a storm could have taken your house. With you in it. And you go, wow, that's depressing, Pastor. No, it's reality. And we need to understand that today or tomorrow we're going to go into such and such a town. We're going to spend this time. We're going to do this. And here's what we're going to do. And I'm going to go here. This is my plan. And I'm going there. Listen, I, we don't know. So we need to, instead of saying, this is my plan, and we need to start leaning into God's plan, leaning into His direction, there's something about us that we believe, though, that any trial that comes our life in our, in our life, or any hardship that comes our way, any opposition our way, must be indication that God's not with us. And Jay would, would say, when you presume that you're in charge, you're revealing that you're not listening to God with your life. I think the better approach is this. Okay, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That's what James said. Do that. And we're going to say, God, here's our plan. He's not saying don't plan. He's just saying, God, here's my plan, but I really want to lean into what you have for me. I want to listen to your voice. I want to go your direction. I want to be a part of your thoughts and plans. And God, if it's your will, then that's what will happen. You know, we start making plans, don't we, to go do things. And this is what my next thing, my next thing. Uh, and we we find ourselves in places where we're not there. Second thing I want you to see we got to develop patience, continually receive his leading. Second, we have to consistently refuse sins of omission. Now, that's just one verse, but I want you to see this one verse because I think it speaks a lot to where we are as people in life. He says this, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, It is sin. Now, in the Bible, there's a real strong consensus that that sin is bad. You all with me? You all agree with that? The Bible says sin is bad. But what's interesting about the Scripture is it rarely defines sin. It talks about sin. It talks about different sins, but it doesn't give us clear definitions this is what a sin is. Uh, John, uh, uh, in his writings, he he gave a definition that is a helpful one. 1 John 3, 4 says this, everyone who practice, who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And here is his definition. Sin is lawlessness. It's what's doing, doing what's wrong, doing what's against God's will. Y'all would agree with me? That's Sin. But that's not the only kind of sin there is. James now talks about a sin of commission. Commission is where you know you're supposed to do something. You know that God has a plan for you. You know that God has a direction for you. He know he has a thought for you. And you say to God, ain't going to happen. That's sin of commission. And James says, let's be careful. Let me give you a couple of examples of sins of commission because they're in the Bible. We just don't think about it this way. You don't remember the story of uh, the Good Samaritan. We referenced him a few weeks ago, but I like that story because in that story you have three different guys who are coming down the road to Jericho uh, and they're coming down the road and they come across this guy who's been attacked and beaten. You remember the story. You all went to Sunday school and Bible school, right? So you've heard these stories. It's the, You remember the priest comes along and the priest goes, hey, ain't no way I'm touching that guy. And the Levite comes along and does what? Same thing. And then comes the Good Samaritan, and he does what? See, the first two had committed sins of commission. They knew what needed to happen, but they did what? They said, I'm not gonna. But the Good Samaritan said, I'm gonna. How about the parable of the talents? You remember the one that one got one talent, one got three, and one got five? You know, the one that got five, he went and doubled it. He took what he had and did something good with it. The one that got three took his and doubled his and did something great with it. You remember what the guy who got one talent got? What he did? He went and buried it. You're going, well, I've only got one talent. I better not lose it. So I'm gonna hide it. He says, no, that's the sin of commission. He didn't do with what he had. God never expects us to do with what we don't have. He expects us to work with what we have. And you say, well, I wish I had five talents. Me too. I wish I had three talents. I'm just glad I got one. Y'all with me? Take what you got and use it. That's not, if you don't, that's the sin of commission. How about the one of the sheep and the goats? You remember the terrible of the sheep and the goats? The sheep were, con- uh, the goats were condemned, but the sheep were commended. Why? Because the sheep were the ones who out there and helped the poor and the ones who were thirsty and those who were naked and did what they were. The goats go, Oh, We're not doing any of that stuff. What James is calling the people here to do is this, knowing to do the right thing and then doing it. Because if you know to do the right thing and don't do it, that is sin. We've got to choose consistently to refuse that pathway in our lives. We're going to apply that in a moment, but hang on to that thought. We have to make a conscious choice that says, I'm going to do what's right, even if nobody sees it. Even if nobody knows what I'm doing. Even if nobody around me understands what I'm doing, we do what God has called us to do. And when things become difficult, we change. take that choice that says, I'm not going to turn inward. I'm going to turn upward and listen to God. Letting God lead means I don't just refuse to commit sin, but it's also... Choose to do the things He's called me to do and not neglect those things. We stop on the side of the road to help the enemy. We, we choose to do the things that leads to positive. We're we the ones who take what God has given us and we do the best we can with what He's given us as He opens the opportunities and we work for the good of the people around us. We don't just forgive that because we don't have the interest or time. We step in there. So, first two thoughts, continue to receive God's leading. Second, consistently refuse the sins of omission. Third, we got to also do something else. we got to reject the worldly standards. Come into chapter 5. Come now, you rich. It's in there somewhere. I saw it earlier. Come now, you. When I build the PowerPoint, sometimes I get kind of distracted and I mess up, so I probably did this morning. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, who kept which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person and he does not resist it. If you're with me, you're reading this passage going, okay, Patrick, the context is a group of people who are being attacked from either side and they're having a hardship and they're having struggles and now he seems to be jumping all over the rich folks. What in the world is going on here? Let me tell you what. He's not just speaking to the rich, because if he was, he'd be talking to all of us, right? You go, what do you mean? I'm glad he's not just dealing with anyone who has wealth, because to do so would be indict us. Because, listen, on the world scale, we live as the top 10% on the planet. You're going, well, I'm poor here. Let me tell you what, poor in America is rich everywhere else. I mean, we we don't understand how wealthy we are. We walk around with $1,000 phones in our pocket and don't give it a second thought. And there's places in the world that don't have $1,000 in a year. And, and we freak out when we can't find our phone. You know, it, that kind of thing is where we live. We're in a different world. We live in a land of plenty with pockets of poverty, not a land of poverty with pockets of wealth. We have it all. We got lots. And the challenge for the people of James Day was not to do what we all have a tendency to do, which is this, well how's the world approach it? Well that's what I'll do. Don't adopt the world standards in the process of trying to be patiently listening and following what God has for your life. Don't go, well the world says this is okay. That doesn't work. The call in our life is to develop this patience. He discusses what the followers, uh, with these followers of Jesus, he's not not their poverty, but their wealth. While they were surely facing hardship from the Jews for following Jesus Messiah and the Romans for professing to have another king, they and they the the reality is they seem to be pretty well able to take care of themselves. They were not trapped in abject poverty. They were able to provide food. Listen, some of them were packing their goods up and moving out of town. If you haven't moved lately, let me tell you what that's not a cheap process. Okay. It takes a lot of work, effort, and sometimes some cash to make it happen. Now, they didn't rent an allied van line back then. They had to get the donkeys to do it, but it took manpower and people. And those, these folks are not struggling like we might think they are, but in their wealth, they needed to understand this. Their help didn't come from what they had. Well, maybe that's a word for us this weekend, isn't it? Our wealth doesn't come from our possessions. It doesn't come from the things we have around us. Yeah, we take care of that stuff. Our wealth comes from in knowing the Lord. And they were guilty of four problems. And he lists them right there in the passage. Let me just quickly go over. He, he, he charged them with hoarding. You're going, hoarding? Well, that's not nice. He, he's not saying you can't provide for your future. Yay, right? All of us pretty much in this room have done plans to prepare for ourselves for retirement and all that kind of stuff. And we, there's nothing wrong with that. But when we do that to the extent that we then become stingy and cheap in the present and don't care for others in the present and don't minister to others in the present, that's where the problem comes in. He says, don't be that way. Because when you do that, what you're saying is, God, I don't really trust you to take care of my needs. I gotta do it myself. Take care of yourself, but also be generous. Don't be a hoarder in the process. How about that, the second one? Being cheap. Be cheap. You're going, well, I don't have any employees. He talks to them about their employees. Can I tell you something? Every single one of us has employees. Did you know that? We all have employees. You're going, I don't have any employees. I don't know what he's talking about. You ever go to the store and walk up to the register with a real person? Yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. That one fell apart. Um, Do you ever go to a restaurant and you sit down and somebody walks over to your table and says... Could I take your order? Guess who they're working for? You. You're going, I never thought about it that way. I, I don't employ people. But we do. We may not have employees on our payroll, but when we go to places where we are served, where people are caring for our needs, who are providing a service for us, we are, in a very real sense, their employer. We're the ones that make their jobs possible. Quit going to the restaurants, and guess what happens to the wait staff? They don't have a job. The cook staff doesn't need to work anymore. There's nothing wrong with being served. He's not criticizing that. What he's saying is don't be cheap in the process. I've I've had friends over the years who worked in food service, and they, 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 they say consistently, I've heard this statement from them we hate Sundays. And I go, Tell me why. And they go, Because they all show up from church, and they're rude, and they're cheap. Some of us are going to go to our restaurant after lunch, to go have lunch, and you're going to say, ooh, maybe a 10% tip is not good enough. Maybe three pennies on the table doesn't cut it. Maybe being demanding to those people who are serving us, working for us, needs to be adjusted. We need to learn to develop patience in those moments and not to be cheap. Third, being self-indulgent. You know, there, there are things in our lives today that we take for granted that, A generation or a century ago, we would have thought to be luxuries. Uh, Consider uh, outhouses, and we'll stop with that image in your head. There's not a one of us that wants to go back the way they used to do it, right? Not me. And James isn't saying luxuries are wrong, but what happens is when we cross the line where we demand, where we expect, and and, and push that we've got to have this and got to have that, and if you don't do it to my standard, it's not good enough. Listen, God has a place for us that says don't be the one that runs around saying off with their heads and throw the bums out, but be the person that says, I want to have grace with you and, and compassion for you and love you. And to accept the things that we have and change what we can, but live that way. And then don't harm the innocent. He's the innocent this morning. Innocent. The issue at hand is this. is Some have condemned and maybe even taken other lives. And in context of James's day, he's, he, I think he's speaking out to those who oppose the will of others. Maybe for us it's this. We need to step back and go, man, I like a deal at the store. You all with me? If I can get half off of 20% off of 40% off of half... I like it. But what if the product we bought is the one that caused a child to work in a sweatshop for pennies a day, for 12 hours a day, so that we could have the cheaper product? Maybe there are times we need to say, we're not going to support that. We're going to step up. And we're going to be patient and wait for what we need in the process. Okay, what do we do with this? Real quick, and we're going to get out of here so we can go do some things in life. All right, first of all, I think we need to do this. We need to learn to check in regularly with the Father. We need to talk to God. We need to talk to God. This tied into our Sunday school class and our class this morning at least. I suspect one of the things we really need to glean from this passage is that we need to check in with the Father. How easy is it, listen, for us to go days weeks, months, or even longer without talking to or listening to God. We get busy with our lives. We get busy with our stuff. It becomes so easy to become self-absorbed and we do what I'm going to do and we take care of what we want to do and we're going to go where we're going to go and our plans are this. And in the process, we neglect spending time with God. But if we're going to develop a life of godly patience, we've got to stop and check in with the Father to talk to God, to turn to Him again and again, letting Him speak to us. I'm reminded of the words of Paul. We prayed it a little bit earlier in the service. He wrote to the church at Thessalonica. He said, Rejoice always and what? Pray without ceasing. You're going, I don't have time to spend six hours on my knees in the morning praying. I think often we look at this kind of passage and we think, oh my goodness, I need to dedicate six hours in the morning and I need to wear out the floor somehow with my knees tearing into the concrete, tearing up whatever so I can spend. There's nothing wrong with doing that, guys. We need to do those kind of things. But I think we understand that prayer is more than just a moment when we set aside to go check in with the Father. It's more an ongoing conversation with Him. We, we talk to Him through the day. We, we relate to Him during the day. We have this conversation with Him to the day. This idea of praying without ceasing. And even as we drive down the road, we have a conversation and you're thinking, you know, people talk to themselves. No, I'm not talking about yourself. I'm talking, about talking to God. I'm talking to the King of Kings and choose His faithfulness regardless of, of what's going on around us as, God, I want to be with you. I, I really see prayer as something we ought to do as like a breath almost. And we say, God, what do you have right now? God, I'm struggling with this. How do we help this person? How do we deal with this? You know, we, we live in a day of constant communication. It's amazing. You can, you can drive hours on end and have conversations with God, and you can have conversations with others. I've discovered you can pray with your eyes open and talk to the Lord and pray for and with others with your eyes open if you need to. To pray second we, we got to make a decision that says this I'm going to choose right how often every time but but we fail that yeah we do but we still need to make the decision that says this is where I'm headed this is what I'm going to do to grasp the idea that our lives are, are really just a collection of a whole lot of choices And the way we make those choices determine where we find ourselves in the next step of life. And so you say, well, I've made some bad choices. Guess what? God gives you forgiveness when you ask. When we repent, He gives us a new path. And then we go ahead and make the right choice. And then we make the right choice after that. And we make the right choice after that. And we keep moving forward, making the right choice after the right choice after the right choice. You see, once you accept Christ as Savior, here's what happens. You have a call in your heart from God. And now you're enabled to do something that you could not do before you met Jesus. You know what that was? Choose right. A woman who doesn't know Jesus struggles with doing the right things. Why? Because they don't have the power of God within them. A man who does not know Jesus has a hard time doing moral and right good things. They can do good things at times, but they don't have the power to accomplish what God has for them. And we're going to have to wade through the negative voices. We're going to have to talk talk to ourselves sometimes and have that conversation saying, no, we're not going to go there. We're not going to think that way. We're not going to act that way. We're going to be the way that God wants us to be. And we're going to lift up and encourage those around us. Listen to what he told, what Paul told the church at Rome. He talked about an issue I think that we need to grasp, and it's this idea of intentionality. And you're going, I don't see that word in the text. Hang in there with me. Look what he said. He said, So then let us if you don't run right in your Bible, you might circle that word. Us what? Pursue. Pursue what makes for peace and for mutual. Upbuilding, you go. Well, doesn't it just happen? I think Paul recognized the reality. It doesn't just happen for most of us. We have to choose to do the right things. We have to choose to work for peace. We have to choose to build up each other. We have to choose to do the right thing. In other words, choose the right in every place, time, and circumstance. Don't tear down. Lift up. To encourage. Don't discourage. To bless. Don't cur- don't curse. A- and I'd phrase it this way: Choose right in every place. So wherever I am, whatever I'm doing. Whoever I'm with, I do the right thing. You do what God calls us to, and we choose right. And that develops out of that patience that God gives us as we listen to his voice, as we walk with him. One last thought, and it's a universal truth. It's not a new verse you've never heard before, but I want you to see it one more time as a reminder. We need to commit our ways to God. Commit your ways to God. There's a thought within our text, not only about doing right, but about living our lives to the Lord. Within Christian thought, I think we've somehow set up this false dichotomy that says, well, there's some of us who are really, really committed to Jesus and the rest of us are just over here doing our thing. I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. The idea is this, you and I, if we have been saved by the power of the blood of Christ, we have been given the power to live the life for Him. Therefore, we need to take every day we have, every moment we have, every second we have, to say, God, I'm committed to Your way. I'm listening to Your voice. I want to do Your thing. There's no dichotomy in the Scripture that I can find between those two positions. Solomon wrote in Proverbs this, Trust in the Lord with... Some of your heart. Is that what he said? He said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all, in in all, it doesn't mean some of our ways, just the areas I want to, no, he says, in all your ways, acknowledge God and he will make your path straight. He's writing to his boys. Did you know that Proverbs is primarily written to Solomon's kids, to his sons to say, this is how you need to live a life. He's the wisest guy on the planet. He says, here's some thoughts for you guys. Catch this stuff. But I think the application is universal for us because every one of us who answers the call to follow God must commit our ways to God on a continual basis, a regular basis, coming back again and again and again, saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. God, I'm going to trust you today. God, I'm going to trust you right now. I'm going to trust you in this next circumstance I'm going into. Yesterday, I went to visit my dad who's struggling with some health issues. And I was in town where I grew up which is a little ways off and and there was a family uh, that I have known since I was oh seven or eight years old so you know 15, 20 years now. Uh, their son uh, was 45 he passed away this week suddenly uh, and so I, I I was in town and otherwise I would have called him and I said well, I'm going to go by and I went by and visited with him and, and I have to tell you, when I pulled up to their home with my sister who lost her husband suddenly three years ago, we were going to visit together, my thought was this. How do you comfort a parent who's lost their child, their 45-year-old son? How do you how do you do that? And as we were I didn't stop and send three hours on prayer on the street before I went in. I didn't have that time, but I just said, Lord... Show us what to say. Show us what not to say. Show us how to, to love a grieving mama and daddy and his girls who were in the house with him through that. I don't share that with you to, to brag. That's not what it's about. It's about this, is we have to be people who every moment of the day, every step of each day, we stop and say, God, I'm going to trust you. Lead me through this. Give me the patience to say what needs to be said, to do what needs to be done, to listen to what you have for us. See, the idea is this. My life is not my own. And I think that's at the heart of what we struggle with in Christian faith is we really don't want to give God at all. We want to say, God, I want the salvation because I sure don't want to go to hell. I want the forgiveness of an eternity. But today, I'm in charge Today, I don't want to wait on what you have for me. God, I don't want you to lead me. I'm going to lead. James is telling the church that's struggling with a lot of stuff going on around them, don't let your possessions get you hung up. Don't let the stuff around you get you hung up. Keep looking at God saying, I'm going to trust you through this all. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord. Maybe you've never committed your heart to Him. That's the place to start. I suspect for many of us, that's not the decision we need to make. It's this that says, God... I'm tired of being in charge. I'm tired of trying to run it myself. I want to trust you. We're going to pray here in a moment. Maybe you need to respond to God privately at your seat. Or if you need to come to an altar, we want to get that available to you. Or I'd love to pray with you here at the front if you want. But ultimately, we need to do business with God This is God, I'm going to trust you with everything. And I want to be patient and wait on you in my life. Father God, we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for the blessings that you give us over and over and over again. God, this weekend has reminded us again, even in the struggle and the strife and the problems that we've seen this weekend, that you're good. And you're good all the time. Father, we pray your hand to be upon us as we respond to you. Father, some maybe need to come and pray at an altar. Some need to just take a moment and remain seated and pray Others, other things. But God, we pray your hand in these moments. And we thank you for loving us in Jesus' name.